0: We have three short passages to read this morning. The first two from the beginning of Genesis and the third from John's first epistle. So you might like to find John's first epistle and put a finger in it. It's 1 John chapter 3 and it's on page 1226 That's the hard one to find. And then Genesis chapter 1 is on page 3 of the Church Bibles, and that's where we'll start. We're beginning at verse 26. Then God said. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now, chapter 2, verse 19. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her (coughs) to the man. And the man said, this now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And now... 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure
1: you, for reading the bible for us we're going to pray let's pray father we recognize that this is a very important issue and the issue of our time it seems who am i and how do i know and who should decide anyway and we pray lord that as we turn to the bible now you'd help us to understand uh, what your word says for jesus sake amen well, a vicar friend of mine was boarding his flight, and as he found his seat, uh, there was a woman in the seat next door, and as he sat down, she offered him her hand, and she said to him, Hi, I'm Jean. I'm gay. How would you respond? I mean, how would have I have responded? Hello, I'm Phil, I'm straight? Or, hello, I'm Phil, I'm a Kentish man, I'm a husband, a dad, a geographer, a vicar, and I like mountains. What do you say? And it raises the issue, doesn't it? Uh, Who are you? And our title in this first, in our little series on identity, Who am I? It's a very big question. Who am I? Who am I? And it affects all sorts of things. It affects, for instance, ethics. It affects human rights, our understanding of who we are. It affects sexuality and all sorts of things flowing from that. It affects Economics, the definition of the family, it affects how we see other people, how we should therefore treat other people. What is a human being? The New York Times magazine has called 2015 the year we obsessed over identity. And it hasn't stopped. So in December 2015... Uh, a trans father of seven, left his wife and family in Toronto to start a new life as a six-year-old girl. A few months earlier, Rachel Doligal, 37-year-old white civil rights activist, was accused by her parents of falsely portraying uh, herself as black. And yet she continued to insist that she still identified as black. Who am I? How do I decide? How do I know? Now, I'm not saying these things uh, in order to uh, belittle uh, these folks at all, but just to illustrate the situation. As a 20-year-old Norwegian woman uh, claiming the sensory powers of a cat, then began claiming that she had been born in the wrong species. So, are we at liberty to decide our gender? Are we at liberty to decide who we are on the broader scale are we at liberty to decide what species we are it's a very big issue and it seems to me a, a classic example of what Archbishop Thomas Cranmer said 500 odd years ago he said this what the heart loves the will chooses and the mind justifies so who are you who am I in essence From one second after you were conceived, or after you were born, whichever way you want to go on that one, to the last breath of a hopefully uh, very old individual. Who are you? And who am I? Well, we're always being told that we are our sexuality, aren't we? Hi, I'm Gene, I'm gay, for instance. Uh, In other words, your sexual feelings define you. They are you at the most you. Uh, And if you feel different tomorrow, you can change the way you are. But if your sexuality and then flowing on from that, your sexual fulfillment is absolutely vital to you, then what happens is that life without sexual satisfaction ends up being described and thought of as a life that's not really worth living. And that you can't possibly flourish or be fulfilled without sex. Do you think that's really true? I don't for one moment. Does that mean that Jesus was unfulfilled? Does it mean that Jesus was subhuman in some way because he never had sex? So this all gets to the very core of what we believe, doesn't it? And to say you are your sexuality, I think is a woefully inadequate way of accounting to what it means to be human. It's not just that. There's a guy called Sam Doherty, who in 2017 was the editor uh, of a book which was taking a chapter from John Stott's book a number of years ago. Uh, issues in, in which was uh, a book on uh, uh, issues in, in um, what's it called? Anyway, it's a John Stott book about issues in the world today. And uh, it's taken the one on same-sex relationships. And Sam Dirty, who's himself gay, edited that chapter. And it's been republished. And he wrote in his introduction and said, It was clear that my identifi- identity is in Christ and not my sexuality. That my sexuality was no more fallen than anyone else's that I am made in the image of God and that my sexuality does not undermine that and that sex is not necessary for fulfilment. So how do we know what it means to be human? How can we know for sure who we are? Can we know? Or do we just make up our own minds? Like Jermaine Greer said in The Female Eunuch in 1986, she wrote this, human beings have an inalienable, inalienable right to invent themselves. Do we believe that? Well, we need to be sensitive. We must be non-judgmental. But I want to say, Germaine, I'm afraid I disagree completely. Because I believe there's a better way, a much better way. And we're just not at liberty to define ourselves or to change the definition of ourselves. We're not plastic or liquid. We can't say, I am this today and something else tomorrow and something else on Tuesday and so on. And how do we know? Why do we say that? Well, we say that because the Bible describes to us quite clearly that God has decided what human beings are. And how we should describe ourselves. God actually has given us the answer to the lady in the plane seat. And we're going to find out what it was. Now as we see in Genesis chapter 1, we see the repeated, God said, God made it, and it was so, and it was good. Repeat six times. God said, God made it, and it was so, and it was good. Repeat, 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 and so on. And God tells us, the Bible tells us, that God tells us who we are. Simple, straightforward. Now, I want to make five, uh, hopefully clear, assertions about how we know our identity. And then we'll get into the meat. The first one is this. God has spoken. You don't have to figure it all out for yourself. And what relief that is. God speaks to us. And he has spoken on this subject. Number two, God welcomes you into a reality of his making, not your making. Number three, we flourish as human beings when we work with and not against the grain of God's reality. So to rebel against God means by definition we will not be as able to flourish as if we were going with the grain of God's revelation. Number four, God reveals to us who he is, and he reveals to us who we are. God speaks our identity to us, like it or not. And number five, no matter what happens, God is good. Very good. And I might have a sixth. One man is the measure of what it means to be truly and perfectly human. And you know who that was. His name is Jesus. So, who are you? Who am I? Well, this morning, just two things. Who am I? What do I say to the lady on the plane? I'm a creation of God, and I'm a child of God. Simple, profound, and I believe a, quite a good answer. It's gene on the plane. Hello, I'm gay. Hello, I'm Phil. I'm a child of God. And I, but, well, I would say I'm a creation of God and I'm a child of God. So the first thing, let's have a look at these two. We're going to spend most of the time uh, remaining on the creation of God. Now, when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and verses 27 and 28, uh, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them the pinnacle of god's creation so then uh, william temple for instance could say i am greater than the stars because i know they're up there but they don't know that i'm down here and more and you see we're, we're more than just animals i was quite surprised and slightly disturbed to find that we share 90% of our dna with cats and only 80% with dogs. You'd think it ought to be around the other way, wouldn't you? But, uh, um, but then I was even more disturbed and I found out that I share 50% of my DNA with a banana. <laughs> but uh, there are differences between us and animals, aren't there? That's clearly there in scripture. It's clearly there in our experience. Levels of communication, nuance and uh, subtlety, instinct, creativity, willpower, ambition and so on. And we're, so we're more than just machines, you're not just a remarkable computer. We have creativity and compassion. We can't just be uh, reduced to a series of, uh, uh, of code, lines of code. And we're not just resources without feeling, which is why you know, the human resources department always slightly perturbs me because that just seems to think, well, does that reduce us just to become some kind of resource for other people to use? Um, Because if we we are just resources, then we can be aborted or deported or we can uh, uh, euthanize us, if that's a word. Because we're essentially useless. That could be the the trouble, can't it? But I'm a creation of God. It means I'm valuable. It means I have worth. It means that you need to treat me well. And I need to treat you well. And if there's a God and I am his creation, then if Genesis 1.27 is true, made in the image of God, male and female together in the image of God, to complete that together, then everything is different now. It's like going outside for the first time. Ever. Ever. Can you imagine that? You've been, say you've been born and you've never seen, you've never been seen daylight and you go outside, you've been imprisoned or something and you go outside for the first time and you see the sky. Maybe it's blue. Maybe it's not quite like today. Maybe it's a blue sky and you feel the breeze and you smell the flowers and you feel the earth in your fingers and uh, someone is uh, cutting the grass and you can smell it and you touch a rose and you lean forward and you're stunned by the beauty and then you smell it and you think, this is amazing. This is amazing. I'm a creation of God. And verse 27 here says, I'm made in the image of God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, it, it's not an added extra. as if God created animals and we're the kind of top of the range. But, uh, we've got a bit added called the image of God. But it means that we reflect God in a profound way. It means that we're, uh, uh, there is something of God's nature that, that can be seen in one another. We'll turn to that in a moment. And it means we're created for responsibility. We're created for responsibility. Look at verse 28 there. To rule and to fill the earth and to subdue it. Responsibility to care and to work for the rest of creation. To be good stewards and custodians of the rest of creation. A hugely important responsibility. We're not going to get into a green sermon now, but those things need to be flagged up. And then we're created for relationship. We're created for relationship. So you look in, uh, uh, in chapter 2 and verses 19 to 25 there. And uh, God is relationship. Ignore the numbers on the screen there in, in black because that's not quite right. God is a relationship, isn't he? God is a trinity. He's a relationship within himself. And he says, let us make mankind in our image. God is a relationship with the image of God. We are a relationship. We're created for relationship. And uh, as God creates, he creates another relationship, male and female, and he institutes marriage. That's next Sunday night. And then the word helper in chapter 2 and verse 20, it means to complement a perfect equal. There's not superior and inferior, of course not. Men and women together revealing the image of God and desperately needing each other in order to do that. Created for relationship and created in the image of God. No other creature in God's whole creation is created in the image of God. And it means we're valuable. No one is disposable. All life is precious. Human life is derived from the simple fact that we are created by God. Created for reflection. That means reflecting God's. To reflect the nature of God to one another and to the world. Now this image that we see in ourselves is, uh, is marred. But we should be able to look at another human being or look at ourselves and learn something about what is, God is like from them. So we look at the good points in other people, we see someone who's good, someone who's loving, someone who's kind, someone who's generous, someone who's caring. And we see to some extent those qualities reflect what God is like. Because we're look, made in the image of God, we can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can humbly say, because God created me, I am supremely dignified, I am of immense value, I am precious, as I'm made in the image of God. And we're created to reflect those good things in God's personality, in his character, in our own lives. And we're created for dependence, dependence on God. You've seen at the end of Genesis 1, God provides for Adam, uh, a helper, Eve, the woman. The intention is that they live together in perfect harmony with their God in a life of love and service and worship and we have that innate desire to worship that is part of the image of god and, you know many people that's been marred and they didn't see that and They it why on earth do those christian people get together on a sunday morning why do they do that or the muslims or the jews meeting to worship why is that there in human beings and it seems all a bit odd but actually it's part of what we are it's part of our makeup that god has made us to worship we worship at the uh, Amex, don't we? We worship when we go to a concert and see how good these people are. And, or to a the theatre, or we see a painting. We worship to an extent. The right, clear... And we can, and we can thank God for the goodness and, and the quality and the skills of those, those folks there. But there's only one proper and right object of our worship. And the God who has made us worshipping people as part of his image... And to express that worship week by week is a great and a good thing to be able to do. And we're created for eternity. We're created for eternity. Genesis 1 and 2 describes a world that was perfect As God created it. Before it went wrong, well, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we can see that, of course, a description of it going thoroughly pear-shaped. And God put eternity into our hearts. And because God has put eternity into our hearts, I believe this is part of it being in the image of God. And because God has put eternity into our hearts, it means we're never fully satisfied in this life. This life is never fully satisfying anyway, because it's been skewed. It's being stained because of our rebellion against God. So this, these first two chapters in the Bible describe an eternity, describe a, a, a relationship with God which is perfect and designed for all eternity, and which we're aiming to get back to. And God would love us to have, have us back there. But it's been stained. That's why, that's why life is so frustrating in so many ways. There's loss. There's bereavement. There's frustration. There's difficulty. There's things go wrong and so on. In a world where those things were never meant to be in the first place. And where one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth where those things will be no longer. We're created for eternity. I am a creation of God. And everyone on this planet can say that. Absolutely everyone on this planet can say that. I am a creation of God. But not everyone can say the second part. Because the second thing I'd want to say to Gene on the plane is this. And I'm a child of God. And uh, if you want to just turn over to 1 John chapter 3, page 1226... We're just going to spend a little time on this. Everyone is a creation of God. Not everyone is a child of God. This is what everyone is designed for. Two types of people in the world. And there's a binary. There are lots of binaries. Marmite, some like it, some hate it. That's a binary. Socks in bed, no socks in bed. That's a binary. Um, Male, female, that's a binary. Uh, Black and white. Christian believer, unbeliever which is actually the most important distinction in the world. And the world says, you can be whoever you want to be. You can choose. And the Bible says, no you can't. You need to be who God made you to be. You really need to be who God made you to be. If you're a Christian, he made you to be a child of God." That is someone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, who started following Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you get born again. You become a child of God. And if you're a Christian, that's what you are. That is part of your identity. I'm a child of God. So if you're a Christian, you can look yourself in the mirror. You can do it tonight, tomorrow morning. Doing your hair, you can look yourself in the mirror and you can say... I'm a creation of God and I'm a child of God. That's who I am. Because God says that's who I am. And I'm not at liberty to change that. To change who I am. And if I'm a child of God, there are two lovely things here that 1 John 3 talks about. It talks about us being loved for all eternity. Look at verse 1. See the great love the Father has lavished on us. That, that looks to me like someone's dishing out lunch and they're giving you huge, wonderful portions. You've got roast lunch later on, those roast potatoes cooked to perfection, the roast beef or whatever it is, just right with the juices running out. Oh, so I better stop, but, uh, you get the idea. And, and, uh, someone, is serving up for you and just piling these things onto your plate and they're all absolutely perfect and it's brilliant lavished on us the great love the father has lavished on us and uh, what is he thinking about in particular that we should be called children of God? so no if you are one of god's people you can experience that you are loved for all eternity and actually, what, God, what John has got in mind here is God's love in sending Jesus. In sending Jesus to come to earth, to die for us, to call us to himself, so that we may be born again, start again as children of God. It's amazing. And it goes on to the second point that he talks about here, which is this. Not just loved for all eternity, but saved for all eternity. Look at verse 2 here. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So he knows we're children of God now, and he's looking to the future. He's looking to that time when Jesus will return, the end of the world, when Jesus will introduce this new heaven and a new earth. And he says, we know that when Christ appears, that's his return, we shall be like him, we shall be transformed. We'll see him as he is, and we'll be changed to be like him, fit and ready for heaven, the new heaven, and the new earth. That is the future for all children of God. It's great comfort for us as we think of those who have gone before us. Just think of that. Just read that and, and ponder that for a moment. It's a great comfort for us as we think of our futures and what we are heading for in a wonderful glory, when Jesus returns or when we die, whichever happens first. uh, The future is glorious for all Christian people. The world is a warped world now. It's groaning. The image of God has been badly marred. But when Jesus returns, for Christians, the image of God will be restored in us and we will be like Jesus, we will be perfectly like him, with perfect bodies, perfect desires, a perfect identity, and we will perfectly understand it and be able to explore that wonder for all eternity. When Jesus returns, a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, we'll be there, perfectly understand, and in the glory and the fact that we are simply and profoundly just this. Just this that we would say to Gene on the plane. I'm a creation of God, and I am a child of God. And for that, we give him enormous and eternal thanksgiving.